Hello, you are listening to the All Girls School podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Barrett, a graduate from an all-women's college in Virginia. This podcast aims to highlight the diverse experiences and life journeys of graduates from all women's colleges. Listeners can expect to hear candid conversations about a wide variety of topics. This podcast strives to be in an inclusive space, so some guests may identify themselves as non-binary or trans. I hope you're ready because class is about to start. All right, hello, and welcome to the All Girls School podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Barrett. I use she, her pronouns. And typically, each week, I sit down with someone who has attended and or graduated from an all-women's college. But this week, I'm going to do things a little differently than the way I've recorded some of my other episodes. Um, actually, not too long ago, when I was doing an interview with one of my guests, she asked me, like, before we started recording, if it was okay to ask me questions during the interview, because she was curious to hear about, like, my experiences and things like that, because she had been listening to the episodes, and obviously the episodes are geared towards my guest and not so much me. So yeah, like my answer to that was always, of course, yes. So if if I ever have any of you on who are listening, I always want these episodes to feel more like a conversation, less like an interview. I'm definitely no Barbara Walters, and I just want the guests to feel comfortable. And so it's only fair that like I'm ready to kind of share my experiences and be vulnerable as well. So I'm always open whenever I have guests. Like I highly encourage them to ask me questions as well because at the end of the day, it's a conversation and I want it to be fun. I want it to be comfortable. And so that being said, today, even though it does feel a little bit weird and a tad uncomfortable to record a solo episode, I definitely just thought, hey, let me take this feedback that I received and push through doing something that's a little uncomfortable for me, which is just talking about myself. So by the end of this episode, you'll know a little bit more about me, why I started the podcast, and hopefully what the future of the podcast looks like or what I want it to look like. So whenever I start these episodes, I always ask my guests, for the most part, to kind of travel back in time and give some insight to listeners as to what they were like in high school or before going to college. So I'm just going to do the same thing. For me, when I think of high school Victoria, I mean, a lot of thoughts come to my head. A, I couldn't dress. I, like, compared to middle schoolers these days, high schoolers these days, they all look like they're all dressed so well and are so fashionable. Me, not the case. I wore jeans from Walmart and whatever t-shirt I could find. I did learn how to use a straightener, so I would spend like an hour every day straightening my hair, which I'm sure did a lot of incredible damage, but <laughs> more so when I was in high school. As far as what I was like as a person, I was in a polite way, an overachiever. I really loved school. I loved learning. 
for the most part, I loved all of my teachers. I mean, there's some that I didn't always get along with, but I can at least acknowledge that even though I didn't get necessarily get along with them as well, I learned from them, which I think a lot of times we always think that we hate this teacher, but sometimes we don't like a teacher because they're holding us accountable. So that's just me speaking from my teaching experience. <laughs> but I also played sports. My main sport was softball. That's what I played year round for like a travel team and then also played in high school. I, When I was younger, I played soccer and basketball. And then I did for a little while play basketball my freshman year in high school, but ultimately decided to focus on softball because that's where most of my athletic talent lied. And I knew at some point I wanted to, I was very adamant about going to college. Like I knew from a very young age that that's what I wanted to do. Even in like middle school, I knew that I wanted to go to college. And I think a lot of that was because my parents didn't go to college and they wanted more for me and my sisters. And so I was pushed like at a very young age to have that mindset. And just my family wasn't poor, but we also um, weren't super well off. So I knew personally that for me, it was really important to go to college because to me, college was an opportunity. Education was a way to get out of Chesapeake, Virginia, which is where I was born and raised and kind of like make more for my life. It's funny. I always had these goals of getting out and doing things. My mom had this book from when I was in like kindergarten or first grade of like stories or poems that we had to write. And one of mine was about like what I want to be when I get older. And this is when I was younger, I was more of a, into basketball at the time. And so my story said that when I get older, I want to be in the WNBA. So I've always had dreams and goals of kind of like making it out of where I grew up and always had goals of achieving something better for myself. And so I think that's why I was such an overachiever in school, always strived to get good grades, was always in honors and AP courses. And as far as money goes, I knew that I had to find a way to pay for it, right? Because there was no way my parents could help me out. And I knew that I didn't want to have a ton of debt coming out of college, which maybe some people thought about at that time. But also, like, weirdly, my eighth grade social studies teacher, Mr. Olivier, was very, like, very much emphasized, like, financial literacy. He taught us about, like, mutual funds and saving for retirement in eighth grade. And I don't know if anyone else paid attention, but I did. And so I was very, like, cognizant of making sure that as I pursue education that I'm also, like, financially responsible. So for me, it was very important to look into different ways that I could go to college and get either most of it paid for or all of it paid for. So one route was 
potentially like playing softball. But and even though I'm I I played year round, I played for a travel team. I certainly had some talent. I'm realistic in the to know that my talent wasn't like D1 scholarship talent. So and I kind of stopped enjoying playing softball for various reasons in high school. So I knew that it probably wasn't the route for me as far as getting um, my college paid for. And even though I never did JRTC or anything, I grew up in the big Navy area more so than Army, but it was still a, a really big military area. And so, and also like my grandfather on my dad's side had served in the Navy and the Coast Guard. And then my grandfather on my mom's side spent a little time in the Army. And so there was like a history of military service in my family. And so I just started looking into different ROTC scholarships. And I looked into both the Air Force and the Army scholarship, both of which would have paid full tuition. But I think I was mostly attracted to Army a, because it seemed like more of a challenge, no offense, <laughs> to Air Force. But B, there were just more options of ROTC programs. So I could pretty much go to any school that I was interested in. And so, yeah, my like very beginning of my senior year, I applied for the Army scholarship. I actually did my interview at Christopher Newport University with the cadre that were in charge of the battalion for William and Mary. And I, I I got offered the scholarship. So I knew even before I got into any college that I had that scholarship. And for some reason I liked the prestige of William and Mary and the history behind it. So and the fact that it was so old like one of the oldest colleges in the United States. So I like had my heart set going on William and Mary, going to William and Mary. And I even applied like early decision and I didn't <laughs> get in. I got waitlisted, which was really hard for me because I had worked like really hard, had a 4.4 GPA. So I did, I had a hard time understanding how I got waitlisted, but as I was like talking to Janair about this in the last episode, when I was listening to this other podcast with Jay Shetty and Becky G, she was saying that things don't happen to you, they happen for you. And I wholeheartedly believe that. And I think one of the prime examples is I wasn't supposed to go to William & Mary. And that's why I got waitlisted. Because eventually I did get some mail my dad, I come home from school. My dad opened all my mail at that point. So he, as soon as I got home, he's there. He's got the mail. It's already been opened. He was like, you need to look at this. And I look at it. It's from Mary Baldwin. There's pictures of this like Corps of Cadets. I didn't know what it was at the time, but pictures from their Corps of Cadets. And yeah, it looked really cool. He had already called. <laughs> He had already called Mary Baldwin, and we literally went that weekend. So there was like no hesitation. We went that weekend to check out Mary Baldwin, 
checked out the campus and then absolutely loved it. I mean, it's it's really like a hidden gem in Stanton, Virginia, which is in the Appalachians, not too far from Charlottesville or Harrisonburg. So very close to UVA and JMU. So it's, yeah, it's very nice campus, cute, picturesque. And yeah, I fell in love with it. I ended up doing an overnight for the VWOL program. And I I was like, this is for me. Like, this makes sense. Not only that, just knowing I already had the Army ROTC scholarship and the resources available through the Virginia Military Institute, which is where we do our ROTC classes in the VWOL program, some VMI for short. Like, to me, it was pretty much a no-brainer. And so, yeah, that that's how I ended up at Mary Baldwin. So I wasn't necessarily looking to go to a women's college, but, you know, that the VWOL program was something that just really attracted me to Mary Baldwin. And yeah, the rest is, the rest is history. As far as my experience goes, you heard this in the episode with Brittany, but like the very, like at the beginning of your freshman year, when you're in the VWOL program, you get there a little bit earlier than traditional students and you do like a wilderness adventure trip. And then when you get back, you start cadre week and cadre week is essentially where the environment changes. It's much more intimidating, strict. I mean, it's nothing compared to some of the academies as far as how hard they go, but it, it's meant to stress you out and add those stressors to you as you're learning like the different ways of like the core and things like that. And most specifically, you're learning drill and ceremony. So like how to march and things like that, which takes coordination, something that I have for sports, but don't have <laughs> for marching, apparently. So I really struggled picking up Jolton Ceremony. And I was kind of like the problem child for fourth platoon, which is the platoon I was assigned to. And I was always like getting pulled off to the side. Uh, yep, that was me. But like once I learned it, once I like got more comfortable in the core, like I I progressed pretty well. I really came out of my shell, especially once like I became friends with Amanda Harrison, who is in the pilot. So you can hear about how we became friends. That really broke me out of my shell. And then I've always been that kind of person up front. I'm very like shy, quiet, reserved. But once I'm like comfortable, that's when my personality starts to shine through. And I did gain a lot of confidence, especially once I was comfortable in the core. Once like I was like, yeah, this is like my place. I'm doing well. Like I can achieve a lot of things in this core. I'm learning a lot about leadership. So yeah, I think VWO was really important to for me, that small environment to build friendships and strong relationships because I kind of have a hard time doing that like on my own organically when there's a ton of people. 
So it was kind of nice to have such a small program that allowed me to do that. I also had a lot of opportunities through VMI and went to airborne school in between my freshman and sophomore year, which was pretty unique. And then, yeah, I pretty much was all in on VWIL. VWIL was like at the center of my college experience. Some might say that it's a good thing. Some might say it's a bad thing. But I also, I did play softball my first year, but the schedule kind of impacted like the more important FTX for Army. So I had to miss spring FTX. And I just felt like I was losing out on like important experiences that I would need to prepare me for LDAC, which is the kind of summer camp that you go to in between your junior and senior year to be evaluated and to like essentially determine if you're going to become an officer or not. So for me, I ended up, I didn't play softball after my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, I started running cross country, which I think has also been super beneficial for me. I never like really enjoyed running growing up. And I mean, if you ask Coach Spalding, I'm sure it didn't sound like I enjoyed running on cross country. Me, Harrison, and some of my other friends that ran cross country, we were, we liked to complain a lot the whole time. Every practice gave Coach a hard time, but let's uh, that's how we made it through those practices, just struggling together and complaining together when in reality, like we wanted to be there and ultimately like we enjoyed it. But, you know, the way that we made it through was by complaining every single minute of practice. But yeah, so I was all in in VWOL. I had some very lofty goals for myself. I think at the end of my freshman year, I kind of knew that I wanted to strive for like first captain when I was a senior. I volunteered for all the different positions like PT cadre, null committee. Like I tried to do as much as I could, peer advisor. So I was very involved in the core and I just enjoyed working with all of the different cadets and it was to me, it was super enjoyable. There was drama and things like that. But at the end of the day, like I really enjoyed the program and I really enjoyed everyone that I worked with. And I did do pretty well in, in the core and became sergeant major my junior year. And like I said, again, things sometimes th things don't necessarily happen to you. They happen for you. And some things happened my junior year. And I did lose the chance of being first captain, but I, when I look back at that experience, I think I was just so goal-oriented for such a long time, task-oriented, like such a perfectionist that ultimately I think that path was for me, even though at the time I might not have understood that, but I understand that now. And I really am just so grateful for my experience there and kind of like Janair said if you can be successful in VWIL if you can lead women then you can lead anyone and I very much believe that and I believe that the leadership experience I got there really set me up 
for for success outside of college, not only in the army, but like outside of the army, almost more so. But yeah, so after my senior year, like most VWL grads, I commissioned into the army as a quartermaster officer. So I went to Fort Lee for my Bullock, my basic officer leadership course. And something that was a little different for me than most than most of my peers was that I also had the follow-on school for aerial delivery and material officer course, which is called ADMOC, which essentially is a course that they send officers who are quartermaster who could potentially end up being in charge of a parachute rigger platoon. So a, a platoon that can pack personnel parachutes or even like the airdrop, the larger airdrop parachutes where they're dropping equipment out of a C-17 or C-130. So I had that follow-on course. So I actually was at Fort Lee a little bit longer and lived in an apartment off of Fort Lee at that time. So after, and most everyone at Bullock knew what their follow-on orders were, but pretty much anyone who had ADMOC on their orders did not. So, so I had no clue where I was going. I just knew that I was going to Fort Lee for Bullock and that I was going to ADMOC. But, I mean... Once you figure out what ADMOC is, you can kind of put two and two together of like where you're potentially going to go. And so I just thought I was going to go to Fort Bragg, which is now Fort Liberty. And Fort Lee might now be, I think I was driving past and I think it might be Fort Greg Abbott, but that could be incorrect. So anyway, I thought I was going to go to Fort Liberty because that's like the biggest airborne unit in in the army is the 82nd. So my mind was like, ah, I'm going to North Carolina, not going to be that far away. And then (laughs) we get our orders. And yeah, pretty much everyone in my class, brag, brag, brag. And then I look at mine and it says Fort Richardson AK. And I'm like, is that Alaska? And yes, it was indeed Alaska. So that was a little bit of a shock because I didn't even really realize that there was an airborne unit in Alaska. So yeah, ended up going to Alaska for my first duty station. And so yeah, it's it's far away. Fort Richardson is actually in Anchorage, Alaska. Honestly, if you've never been to Alaska, I highly recommend it as like a place to visit. It was a very cool place to live for three years, but maybe not ideal for someone who's like young. I definitely think it's more ideal for like families. And if you're a little bit older, I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved Alaska and the the hikes and I think it's gorgeous and beautiful. And I would love to go back and visit. But if you're young single, especially queer and single. It's not the best place (laughs) to be stationed for your personal life. But I think the benefits of 
of its location was that it makes you develop really strong friendships and close ties with the rest of the lieutenants who are there. And so I really enjoyed Alaska. I enjoyed the people that I met. That's when I actually started getting into solo travel. One of the guys that I worked with, he was my company XO when I first got to Alaska, Jay Covdy. And he would travel like every four day. He would go somewhere different. He might not have been traveling solo, but he would travel. And I was like, oh. And I was an international relations major, so. But I guess I never had money growing up, so traveling just wasn't in my mindset. But now like that, I obviously am a commissioned officer. Like I have a decent paycheck. And so, yeah, I can travel and it's fun and it's enjoyable. And the funny reason why I started to embrace solo travel, like I wanted to travel, but then I would get nervous about going by myself. And I had tickets to see Taylor Swift for the 1989, her 1989 tour in Seattle. And then I got in my head because I couldn't find anyone to go with me. So I ended up selling them, like reselling them for exactly the price that I purchased them. So no upsale for me and then ended up getting resale tickets to her show in Denver and visited Amanda Harrison for like Labor Day weekend four day and went but like the amount of money that I paid for the seats in Seattle compared to the seats I got for the same price resale in Denver were just like not even close so I always like had regretted selling those tickets and not just like having the guts to go by myself. So I when Adele went on tour, I bought one ticket for Vancouver, British Columbia, because I was like, oh, I want to go somewhere international, but I'm going to be by myself for the first time. So Vancouver, British Columbia seemed like a an ideal place. And yeah, I went there for five days on my own. And I think you learn a lot. And I think, especially if you try and stay at hostels, you can meet other people and it forces you to have some more interaction. And then if you do like little day trips, day excursions, like group tours, that's another way to where even though you're traveling solo, you can interact with other people. Like I went to Whistler, went bungee jumping. I was sitting next to this girl about the same age as me from Ireland. Her and her like friends who teach in Ireland travel every summer and that summer they were in Vancouver and as we were driving up to Whistler we had like different options of things we could do and I knew I wanted to bungee jump so I was talking about it and so like the two people next to me that I was sitting near and had befriended all decided they wanted to do it too. So I think just like doing things that you're uncomfortable with are well worth it in the long run. And I did another longer solo trip in between like PCSing from Alaska back to Fort Greg Abbott, I think it is now in Virginia, Petersburg, Virginia, because I had a bunch of leaves saved up. So there were two things that I did and technically both solo but ended up making a lot of friends in in the process. So one the first thing I did is I went to this queer convention 
in Las Vegas called Clexicon. And it's the whole point of the convention was to advocate for positive representation of queer women in film, TV, and media. Because there had been a lot of tropes in television that had been happening at the time and film as well of just queer women couples like having joy for a short amount of time and then one of the characters just getting killed off and it just didn't even really serve a purpose for the storyline so kind of led to like a little bit of outcry in our community and ultimately the creation of this convention and I went the first year that it ever happened so it was pretty small and and it was just really cool it was so cool to be in a place full of other just like queer women some some people may have identified as non-binary some may have identified as trans but it was just like a really cool space to be in where you could literally even if you were there by yourself start a conversation with someone who was in line next to you and immediately be able to connect and have like similar experiences and just become instant friends. In fact, I still have at least one one person that I talk to regularly and I've seen regularly since that convention. And then I have a couple people that I still follow because like people came from all over. So someone that I know who's in Canada and someone that I know who's in Australia, the friend that I keep up with pretty often lives in like Hawaii. So it was just like a, a really cool experience. And even I went to Australia right after that for three weeks on my own. But because of that convention, like I said, one of the people I met was from Australia. We were on the same plane ride when I left the convention. So we ended up sitting next to each other for a little bit and chatting. And then even when I was in Australia, she coordinated like before I left a, a group meetup of other people who were at the convention as well as people who wanted to go the, to the convention but weren't able to. So that was a really like unique experience for me. And just it was just really cool. And I can't describe it. Like, I guess this is I've gotten hung up on the concept of belonging ever since like I read about I read about it in like Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown, like the difference between belonging and fitting in. And I've never felt like such a deeper sense of belonging than when I was at that convention. So I know how important like that feeling is and how magical it can feel when like you can just completely be yourself and not have to change anything about you. So yeah. And then, so that's a tangent about solo travel. I went to the captain's career course. It was a PCS move, six months. And then I went to South Korea, which that was during the time when things were getting very heightened over there. There was a lot of tension. And so that also reflected in kind of like our op tempo and my brigade commander was pretty toxic. And the environment we worked in, because we worked with South Koreans, we worked on certain computers that we couldn't have, like our cell phones and 
things around. And so very quickly, like the first exercise, as soon as I got there was like the simulated warfighter exercise. I learned that there was no such thing as a 12-hour shift. Our brigade commander would, after the cub or the bub, so at the beginning of what should have been a shift and the end of what should have been a shift, like right around shift change, you knew that shift change wasn't going to happen on time because he would just go in on his staff. He would pretty much tell us we're the worst staff he's ever had, that we can't get anything right. He would threaten to fire like all of his field grade officers, which are majors and above, literally every day and could just never convey what he wanted. So you would work super hard to create these products for him and he would be like, nope, not what I wanted and and not be able to tell you how to fix it, right? Just go back to the drawing board. And so I think it was then like working, being up at 1 a.m., on Saturdays and like always being on call to potentially come in and work on a product for hours and hours that you didn't know if he was going to like just really made me start then kind of like questioning if staying on active duty was worth it to me and not having like control over my life and where I go and, and what I do. I really didn't enjoy Korea until the end towards the end like the second half of the year once my brigade commander switched out. And then I went to Colorado, which was one of my top choices. And yeah, I had already looked into Troops of Teachers, so I had it in the back of my mind, but I wasn't like completely sold on getting out yet. And then I walk immediately into another situation with toxic leadership, both brigade and battalion. To where, just like to give you an idea, we were going to Kuwait. And I was lucky enough to where I had just got there. So I hadn't had as many, I didn't get the brunt of the bad experiences that a lot of my peers had before me with this brigade commander and such. But before we went to Kuwait, I remember sitting in a meeting and the brigade commander telling everyone in the maintenance meeting that they were lucky that he gave them Christmas leave, like that he allowed them to take Christmas leave. And when I heard that statement, I was like, yep, I I think when I get back from Kuwait, I need to come off of active duty. I'm tired of falling to the whims of these toxic leaders. And at least if I'm in the civilian sector, if I run across that, I can always choose to leave. I have a choice to leave and find something better. So yeah, I went to Kuwait, which was honestly like a blessing because I was able to save up um, some money. And then when I got back from Kuwait, dove fully in the Troops to Teachers program and had the opportunity to at least start a teaching internship while I was still on active duty. But then I was literally like, a week, two weeks into it, and then the pandemic shut everything down. But luckily, that was enough. Those two weeks were enough for me to kind of like build my resume and understand how special education worked. I was able to pick up enough and kind of feel a little more prepared for an interview. So I interviewed with Carson Middle School, 
which is one of my top choices and got offered the job like right away, same day. And so I feel very fortunate that even though it was the heart of the pandemic that I was getting out, that I had something already lined up and that my ETS leave pretty much went all the way until the school year started. And some of you are probably wondering, wow, like, why did you decide to get into education? For me, I think one thing that I disliked about the future route of being active duty army officer was that most of your career you're spent on staff and you're just like nugging away on PowerPoints and spreadsheets and things like that. And you don't have the same interaction that you did when you were a platoon leader with soldiers. So you just don't have that same level of interaction. I wanted something that like gave me meaning and and purpose. So initially I wanted to be a social studies teacher, but when I did the Troops to Teachers program, they kind of put special education on my radar. And so, and I'm really thankful for that and that opportunity. It opened my eyes to like a completely different student population that I wasn't necessarily aware of. And I very much enjoyed my time working at Carson Middle School. There's a lot of great teachers that work there. And when I decided to move back to Virginia, I like part of the reasons why I decided to look into grad school for higher education is was because I knew that it would be very difficult for me to find another school with the same type of community that I experienced at Carson Middle School. Like I, I knew nothing else would kind of compare. So why did I move back to Virginia? Why? And why did I start this podcast? So I spent three years after coming off of active duty teaching special education at Carson Middle School in Colorado, Colorado Springs, which is a great area, lots of things to do. But I experienced a lot of things in my personal life that just kind of put me in a bad space mentally. I went through a breakup. A ton of my army friends that like I initially got stationed with there and had befriended at that point started PCSing to other places. So <clears throat> I lost a lot of my support network. And in the midst of me like being in that relationship, I didn't do a very good job of building like a separate support network with like coworkers or other people in Colorado Springs. So when I went through that breakup, I think I struggled with it mostly because I didn't have a support network and could just felt very alone. And I was also like missing my family. Like my sister was like about to have a baby, ended up having a baby a year ago. And it was then where I was like, like maybe staying in Colorado just isn't the right move for me. Maybe. I need to to move back closer to family because I think that's like the number one step for your support system, right, is being closer to family. And I knew my sister having the baby. I didn't want to just visit once or twice a year. I wanted to be more present. And so I applied to different graduate 
programs in Virginia. Ultimately, I chose George Mason because I wanted to be somewhere a little more urban, diverse, to help not only just give me opportunities to make friends, but also like to do different things, to go to sporting events, like concerts. Like I very much enjoy those kinds of things. I wanted to be, I wanted to be around like hopefully a larger LGBTQ plus community so that I could like also focus on my personal life in addition to professional life, like actually try to balance those two things. And then, so I got in to all of the places that I applied to and chose George Mason. And then I applied to be the graduate professional assistant for the LGBTQ plus resources center and got selected to do that. And so by March of this past year, March, 2023, I, this is a long winded explanation to get to the podcast. So I knew I was going to move, but I had my dog and I knew that the moving process was going to be stressful. I also had to go to annual training in June prior to moving back to Virginia. So during my spring break, I rented a camper van and I drove my dog back. So I drove Olaf back to Virginia. And then it was pretty much like a turn and burn. I drove like I do three, eight, nine hour, 10 hour days to get to Virginia. I spend a day in Virginia and then I drive back three, nine, like eight to 10 hour days, depending on how I broke it up and how many stops I made. And during that time, I like I got bored with just listening to music. So I, I learned I've done that road trip multiple times to visit family. So I learned the best way to pass time wasn't necessarily audiobooks because I'd get distracted and then I'd miss parts of the plot. But podcasts, I found, is a really good way to help me pass time because it was almost like, especially the types that I listen to, it's like listening to a fun conversation and getting like really cool insights and being like, oh, yeah, like I feel that too. I think that too. And so as I was driving back, I was just like, hmm, I wonder what it takes to make a podcast. Like, could I make a podcast? Do I have anything that, like, I could say? Because it, it seems fun. It seems like fun conversations. I, I can have fun conversations with my friends, but I was like, but what? There's so many podcasts out there. Like, what do I even talk about? Who do I talk to? And then, like, at some point during the road trip, it just kind of hit me. I was like, Oh, shit. I went to a women's college. That's pretty unique. That's not something you hear about all the time. Most of the time when I tell people I went to an all-women's college, like, they're like, oh, wow. I didn't know, like, people still went to the, those types of colleges and things like that. So I do think it's, like, a pretty niche experience. And it was an idea. I had sent it to Harrison and Tesla in our little group chat. And, of course, like, they were like, oh, that's cool. That's a cool idea. But I, I don't think I had genuinely thought about it as far as, can I really do this? So it was an idea, but it wasn't something that I necessarily thought about putting into action yet. And then sometime later that month, or maybe even April, I saw like a VUO alum, Mary Baldwin alum, who is in episode two. And I even like say this, 
Kat Navarez made this post on Facebook. And I'm not on Facebook a lot. So obviously, I feel like I was meant to see that post. Like, things happen for you. And I saw the post and it was about, like, obviously all the different things she's doing. But one of them was, like, podcasting. And I was like, oh, someone I know or went to school with is, like, into podcasting. Let me reach out to them. Maybe this is something I really can do. Like, maybe I should do this. Maybe this is, like, my sign that I should do this. And so I reached out to her immediately. And just even in that process of reaching out to her made me take take it so much seri- more seriously and be like, yeah, actually, I can do this and I'm going to do it. And I did. And it was like a bunch of small steps to get here. But we're here. I've interviewed eight people so far. I have several other interviews that I already want to do slash have talked to people about. There was one that I was hoping to squeeze in before doing this. But, you know, schedules are crazy. They're busy. And it just hasn't happened yet. But there are a lot of interviews that I'm excited to do that I haven't gotten to do yet. So. I guess when I talk about like the future of the podcast. So if you're listening now, this is going to be the last episode of season one. So this is the last episode of season one. Graduate school, there's a lot of things coming up, projects and things that I have to do. So it's kind of hard for me to take the time to schedule those interviews. And I don't want to rush things. I don't want to feel rushed. I don't want to half-ass these interviews. So kind of what I think the format for the rest of the season is going to look like is I will have these spans where I do a bunch of interviews. So I'll, I'll record a bunch of interviews in like batches during like hiatuses in between seasons. And then I'll release anywhere between eight to 10 episodes per season. So This is going to be the end of season one and hopefully sometime toward the beginning of next year, I can release season two of hopefully another like eight to 10 episodes. But I really have high hopes for what the future can look like. There are honestly so many people that I want to interview. So especially people who are already listening, who maybe follow me who I've not reached out to yet. It's not because I don't want to, but it's because it's kind of overwhelming. (laughs) There's so many people I want to reach out to, so many interviews I want to do. I want to highlight so many of you and the things that you're doing. And honestly, I remember setting up an interview with someone and they were like, why do you even want to interview me? What do I have to offer? And so I want everyone out there to realize that you all have so much to offer whether you're like a single mom or topics like queer parent planning, like those are all things that I want to talk about and I want to highlight. And success looks so different for so many different people. There's no one way to what success and happiness looks like. And that's something that I really want to highlight and that I'm excited for. And I also want to do a better job of reaching out to women who have attended other women's colleges. So I follow pretty much every women's college on Instagram. 
And I see all the cool things that all of these schools are doing. And so I know I've been given like a few tips for people I could interview from different schools. And I've, I do have some people that have reached out to me from that Facebook group page. And I've just gotten a little overwhelmed by like my schedule and I haven't had the opportunity to, to schedule those interviews yet, but it's in the works, especially during my Thanksgiving and winter break is when I'm really going to sit down and schedule those interviews and get them knocked out. So hopefully I'll have a big batch of episodes recorded for season two that can drop hopefully towards the beginning of next year. But almost coming up on an hour, that's kind of crazy. I didn't realize I could talk that much. So hopefully you enjoyed it, just hearing me drone on and on and on about myself. But I don't want to keep just talking about myself. I do want to give some plugs and some shout outs before the end of this episode. So first and foremost, I want to thank each and every one of my guests who I interviewed this season. So shout out to Amanda Harrison, Kat Nervaez, Jazz Roll, Tesla Siri, Sarah McFarlane, Coach Ratnake, Brittany Bullard, and Janair Jackson. Shout out to all of you. Because honestly, if you hadn't been gracious enough to take out your take time out of your schedule to chat with me, then this podcast wouldn't exist. Like I'd just be here by myself and that would be boring. And then I just want to thank everyone who follows the Instagram account and who has been listening to the episode so far, even if even if you've only listened to one or two, I appreciate it. I've also gotten some feedback from quite a few of you that has been very encouraging. And so I do hope to continue to do these interviews, continue to grow the podcast with the amount of time that I do have. And I hope that hopefully you'll continue to listen when season two drops. But kind of to wrap things up, if you're new to the podcast, so say this is maybe the first time you've listened or the second time you've listened, just make sure you follow us on Instagram at All Girls School Podcast and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be Apple, Spotify, Google, or even YouTube. And if you want to email the podcast, if you have questions, if you want to be interviewed, say you stumbled upon this and you're like, Oh, you could interview me. Or if, even if you have like ideas or feedback, feel free to email me. I'm not always the best at checking it, but the, <laughs> the email address is the all girls school podcast at gmail.com. But thank you so much for tuning into season one. And I'm excited to see what happens and who I get to chat with in season two. So see you later. Thanks for listening to the All Girls School podcast. But before class is over, please take a moment to subscribe or leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts. If you enjoy video content, head over to our YouTube channel at All Girls School Podcast, where you can watch and listen to each episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Girls School Podcast 
And you can email us questions, stories, and more at theallgirlschoolpodcast at gmail.com. That's it for today. Class is dismissed.